Hey everybody, this is Chris and Amy with the UX Tech Talk podcast, formerly known as the Kiss My Dash podcast. Here we talk about everything related to UI, UX, tech, and everything in between and surrounding that. Yeah, we're here to provide perspective, tips, and recommendations on everything that we know. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that's us. Yep, so stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Amy and Chris. And we're back in 2019 to, <laughs> to open up and really, it. I know we made it, right? We made it to 2019. And we this episode is really going to be about Christopher and Christopher Sean Brooks and really just diving into what makes him the technologist and the CTO of Dreaming Colors. So stay tuned. So let's jump right into it. We're going to talk to Christopher, the CTO of Dream Color. And the first thing I really want to get to sort of start this whole interview is to ask you about about your upbringing, about what made Christopher, Christopher. And, you know, take me through your your past. I I already know, but, you know, take them through your, your past experiences. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think a couple things, you know, shaped me. And, you know, I think it's true for most people that there's a few experiences that, that definitely kind of make you who you are uh, and you kind of build on that foundation. But for me, those experiences were my dad being in the Navy. Uh, so he was in the Navy. Uh, he's been in actually was in the Navy for 30 years. He's he's retired uh, about maybe eight, nine years ago. Really? Now. Yeah. No, he I think so. Away. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm not good with dates. He's not. These things happen. That's okay. He retired but, longer than that. I'm sort of over yeah. About 10, 15 years ago. Okay, I said 8, 9, 10, 15. Close. But, but anyway, <laughs> so my dad was in the Navy, um, and a part of him being in the Navy was being on what are called six-month or one-year deployments, uh, which essentially means he would be out to sea on a ship like the Eisenhower Enterprise for up to six months or even a year. So that means I spent a lot of time with my mom and also her friends, and you know they, they uh, helped to, to raise me and my brother and it was some really cool experiences and just getting to, you know, know my mom and, um, you know, just really to, I guess, form a bond with her. And honestly, like, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely, I think, where, like, my relationship, you know, with her really blossomed. And, you know, I miss my mom. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Mom's so, boy. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when my dad was there, it was great. Um, you know, I, I think my upbringing was very interesting and adventurous at times. And where um, did you grow up? So I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. I've lived in, obviously, Norfolk. Lived in, you know, the Hampton Roads area, um, Pensacola, Florida, and a bunch of other different places. But to be honest, those were before I could remember anything, and I was a baby. Uh, so I had, I have no idea uh, <laughs> what those places you know, were, honestly, and what they were really like. But I know, you know, from my early experiences as well, you know, things weren't the best. Um, but one thing I always remember is that each couple of years, it seemed like we leveled up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think I attribute that to my parents working extremely hard and mm-hmm. not complaining and, you know, even through through ups and downs in a relationship, just kind of making it work and communicating and, you know, trying their best to provide for me and my brother. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, those are the biggest things that I remember. Also, you know, I went to private school and public school, which was extremely interesting because I got to see the kind of juxtaposition between private and public. Um, and the private school I went to was a college prep 
uh, private school, and not just any college prep private school. Most of the kids... Which, which school is that? Uh, it's Norfolk Academy. Okay. Um, so most of the kids that actually went there ended up going to like Yale, Harvard, or any one of those like Ivy League, you know, top-tier Ivy League schools, which was interesting. Um, and one of those guys actually, uh, he as the, I think it's the Intrepid magazine, but he's an entrepreneur as well. It's like one of the biggest surfing magazines out. Honestly, it's the go-to resource for surfing. So it's kind of cool to see somebody else that I went to high school with. Um, granted, we don't really, you know, communicate. Uh, Norfolk, but Norfolk, you went to Norfolk with. Yeah, yeah, yeah high school, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of cool to see them succeed uh, and, you know, realize that entrepreneurship is a nice route you know, to go. It takes a lot of work, definitely. Yeah. It takes a lot of work, but uh, it's pretty cool, especially if you're passionate about something. But the biggest thing, I, the biggest takeaway, I think, from uh, kind of going to private school and public school is just seeing what you're really capable of. Mm -hmm. At the private school, their expectations were extremely high. Um, and honestly, I learned through hard work, dedication, just perseverance, you can actually get a lot more out of yourself than you think you think you're actually capable of. Okay. Um, if you put yourself in those predicaments, you can actually like really thrive and succeed and push yourself. So, oh, that was a quotable moment there. <laughs> yeah. That's a quotable moment. Yeah. So, just to kind of get a little bit more information from you, so that our audience know you in full spectrum, can you tell me or tell the audience what about what about that experience sort of is still with you? basically, um, that kind of made you into what you are now. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah excuse me, sorry. Um, I definitely think that Norfolk Academy was a very interesting experience. Um, one of the biggest things I always remember, to be honest with you, is that this school was, I think, first through 12th, 12th grade, and there were only like eight or nine black kids at the whole school. Right. Um, so I will always remember, like, you know, to be honest, like the lack of diversity at that school. And also, you know, just some of the assumed expectations for, you know, the minorities that were there. You know, I think oftentimes, um, you know, it was just challenging in, in, in some instances because there weren't that many African-Americans or, or, you know, people of color in general. Um, so it was, it was interesting because I think we were kind of held to a different standard, so yeah. to speak, to, to be honest. Um, but you know, once again, I learned through perseverance, through hard work, through dedication, through staying up late and, yeah. you know, working hard that anything's possible, you know, even if somebody else, um, doesn't, it doesn't believe you can do it. Right. That's true. And, and that actually carries over into experience that I yeah. had, you know, in college, in college as well. I was just going to get into that. So Basically, I want to know what is your driving force. Like, you know, I was there, so I know. But tell the audience, moving forward into your college career, what was the um, what was the driving force to kind of push you to become your, you know, your full to you know meet your fullest potential? I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so initially when I went to college, I went to school for audio engineering um, at the Art Institute, you know, is where I met Amy as well. Uh, but yeah, I went there for, the, for audio engineering for about a year. And, and, and wait, how did you get into audio engineering? Okay. So let's not skip. I see. I see. I let's see, not skip that little bit. <laughs> so I did something. Um, so my friends and I had a group, a hip hop group, actually, and 
we did some of the rapping thing that people call it <laughs> rapping lyrics hip-hop stuff so we did that we actually almost got signed um you know we were pretty good honestly if we were, we were taking we did it tours up and down the east coast we did tours up and down the east coast and honestly i think if we would have taken it like a little bit more seriously we'll be that i probably wouldn't be here doing this podcast so he's re- he's really uh, he's really good he's also a great writer because um, we ended up doing some music together too but yeah, go ahead i'm decent i'm decent i'm decent so anyway, I had that background and I really wanted to, you know, figure out some way to kind of get into the music industry and, you know, figure out some way to succeed in, mm-hmm. in that arena, so to speak. So I went to school, doing my audio engineering thing. One day it just kind of hit me like, man, I feel like I can do this on my own. Honestly, I feel like if I take my time and I look at tutorials and, you know, I, and I hustle and grind and, and try to go to studios, I can pick this up on my own. I'm spending a lot of money for this. Yeah. And I remember... Around that same time, I had walked by a classroom and saw some people, like, designing something on a computer. And then I had seen somebody, like, doing what looked like at that time to be some kind of strange hieroglyphs on the screen. <laughs> and I had no idea what it was. And what it turns out what it was was somebody was designing something in Photoshop and the other person was writing code. Um, so from that day on, I remember, like, I asked Amy and asked a couple people if I should switch my major some people told me, Very no, you know, stick nice. with your passion. And Amy was like, if you know, if you think it's interesting and, you know, it seems like it has a higher ceiling in terms of your career and what you can possibly do with it. And you feel like you can still do audio engineering, you know, you should go for it. So I That's remember. That's the one time you listened to me. The <laughs> one time. <laughs> so I remember, yeah, I actually listened to Amy and took her advice. And that's how I got into web design and interactive media. And, you know, I ended up graduating through a lot of trials and tribulations. Yes, tell and us about tell us about uh your teachers and you know tell yeah. us about that experience with the other students and things like that. Sure. So I mean, you know, once again, life is so interesting because it's all about like how you take those experiences and what you decide to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one teacher vividly. She was hard on me, and it was crazy. She was so hard on me, and. You know, I didn't realize at the time, and Amy actually has a similar story. I didn't realize at the time that she was being hard on me because she realized I had a lot of potential. Yeah. She just was trying to hone that potential and get it out of me and make sure I was focused, make sure I was detailed and dedicated. Yeah. And, you know, just to make sure I, I could become the best web developer, designer, or, you know, whatever I wanted to be to make sure I could be the best. So I'm, yes. I'm forever grateful, you know, for her, uh, Mr. Splashing. <laughs> and I'm, honestly, I've been wanting to, like, see if I could go into AIW and, you know, just tell her thank you for everything she did for me. Because, you know, sometimes in life, you know, you think some people are just on your case Mm -hmm. and they're just pressing your buttons. But what you don't realize is that they're is that they're actually trying to push you. Yeah. You know, and and, and try to make you better. Um, Right. If 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 someone isn't hard on you, then you're not working hard enough. Yeah. 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 I do believe And also if somebody is hard on you that that must mean that they see something in you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. They they think that you can be better than you probably think you can be. You know, I'm a big I'm a big NBA fan, and it's amazing what happens when a coach believes in a player. Oh yeah. You know, I've seen some players support that, is huge. I've seen some players that are supposed to be mediocre players supposedly, and these coaches turn them into these superstars. Oh yeah. Know? Like they're just defensive players, and they turn them into these all around all star players. You know, so belief is amazing. And, you know, I've read a lot about that, actually. It's it's actually really a really amazing thing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when somebody doesn't believe in you, oh, yeah. um, if, you don't have, if you're not strong-willed and you're, 
you know, in college and you're still learning who you are and trying to develop your character, mm-hmm. that can really bring you down. So I actually had another teacher who, for whatever reason, seemed to challenge me in different ways and didn't believe in a lot of the stuff I was doing, didn't believe in me. And that caused me to kind of doubt myself and be very hard on myself. And, you know, I think, honestly, that's where, like, my anxiety started kicking in and, mm. you know, different things. Uh, yeah, you know, constructive criticism was really hard for you at that point. Yeah, when, I mean, definitely. Know. 100%. I mean, 100%. I mean, oh, and also deciphering the difference between the two. What is just criticism for just be out of spite? Yeah, exactly. And then what is constructive criticism? And I think it was really difficult for you to figure out. Like, that was... That's a great point. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, at that point, I had no idea. I thought, I, I just thought everything, you know, that everybody said was just like a knock. And, it, you know, it was for a certain reason. And, you mm-hmm. know, and people maybe had a vendetta out against me or something like that. Um, it turns out it wasn't necessarily that serious. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there were certain teachers, you know, one specifically that really had a lot of, had a, had a lot of doubt and just didn't expect much out of me. And I think it was maybe because of the way I carried myself. Um, you know, I was different than everybody else. I definitely mm-hmm. was different, but my work was top notch. Mm-hmm. I worked my ass off and grinded to get things done. I remember staying up late with Amy several <laughs> nights while she's working on her stuff. I'm working on my stuff. Yeah. I remember a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. You know, literally. I mean, you know, with Amy with her diabetes and everything else. I remember a lot of things that we went through. Yeah. You know, to even just graduate college, and you know, Amy also was pregnant. You know, at the end of her her college career, so. You know, we went through a lot. You know, it, it takes... It takes. Yeah, I lost my brother also in college. Yeah, and you lost, you lost David as well. You know, Amy lost her brother. So it's tough, you know. But I think life is, you know, you have to kind of go through those things if you want to succeed ultimately. Like, if you want to get tests. on the other side. Those are tests. Yep. And they're designed to make you stop, um, question what you're doing, and, you know, make a U-turn. Um, All right. So... Before we could have a lot to talk about college. I mean, college was crazy. It was full of all kinds of crazy things. But let's fast forward to after graduation, and um, like, talk to me about your like your first experience. And I feel like this was your big. I mean, how lucky are you to get such a job, make such an impact? So, talk to the audience about that. Sure. So my first opportunity out of school was at uh, Georgetown University. Um, so I actually got to work with a pretty cool team, very small, Mark, Anupam, and Teresa, and, you know, a few other folks, but those three were the main folks that I worked with. Um, but it was amazing. Um, you know, we did a lot of cool digital products. We did a lot of stuff with social media and Facebook and Twitter. Before, Um, before people knew that it had its capabilities, really. Yeah. And I remember like stressing and trying to figure out some sort of like design system or like a design grid system or something like that. Yeah. Because I think this was around the time Bootstrap had started coming out, but I was trying to figure out grids and layout and responsive design was a thing. Yeah. And I was racking my brain over trying to figure that out. But, you know, thankfully now that's kind of a standard and, you know, the good folks at Twitter figured that out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I remember just kind of trying to figure out a way to optimize what they had at Georgetown uh, University and just... To try to enhance it and, you know, make the best out of what we had. I think one of the common denominators that I found with all the opportunities that we've had a chance to work on, um, whether whether it's contractual or project-based, is that there's always, like, a certain set of limitations. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, like, this person doesn't want to, you know, modernize their system. It's it's an organizational, like, hierarchical, like, yeah. structural 
situation. Like they're tied to this contract. Yeah. Or, you know, if we update this to this version, it's going to impact 20,000 users and it could bring down the whole website. Yeah, you know, it was very fragile back then. It's very, I mean, and honestly, nowadays it's the same thing. People are just, it's not that they don't want to pivot be, because they know they need to pivot. It's not that they don't want to do it because they're like, like you know, just being uh, you know, uptight about it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do it because it could have potential implications. And they feel like, hey, up and running, a solid experience is better than potential downtime. You know, which I understand. And that's a lot of like the situations that we, the challenges that we have with some of our you know, current and, you know, I'm assuming future clients yeah. is trying to figure out that, you know, how to walk that line between modernization and kind of making sure that everything still works and when to transition and yeah. making sure there's backups and like a backup plan and right. fallbacks and all that kind of stuff. Well, well let's um, just, let's go back to... But, but yeah, so, so at, at, at Georgetown. Georgetown, yeah. And, yeah. and starting an ideation mm-hmm. around the campaign that was, a, that yeah. I, I think was... Like a huge success. A huge success. Tell, tell us how Definitely. that experience was. How yeah. it went for you. So, so essentially, Georgetown University had this big initiative to raise $1 billion. Um, so what we did was start to work on a campaign for Georgetown website. So, um, you know, I was involved in the strategy of that. I was involved in uh, the conceptualization and just the brainstorming sessions and trying to work with the team to figure out, you know, what was this experience look like for users? You know, how can we get, uh, you know... F- people that went to Georgetown University to donate back to the university in, in, mm-hmm. in large amounts. I mean, this was huge, by the way. It was a big, it was a big And they only had just a, about four of you guys. Yeah, it was basically three of us. It, it was me and Mark doing the development. Yeah. Um, Palm was kind of spearheading a lot of the creative direction. Um, so you, you guys were in charge of the technology. Yeah, yeah we were in charge of the, of the technology. And it was, it was, it was definitely uh, challenging just because of the amount of work that had to be done. And the short time frame. And the, um, and the innovation on top of that. Like, true. how creative you had to be. Yeah, and at that time, a lot of the tools that are out nowadays were not out at that time. Um, so, you know, there were still a lot of challenges. We were working with Dreamweaver and, you know, trying to trying to make that work, which... <laughs> take a deep breath for Dreamweaver. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was a great project. They ended up raising $1 billion, um, and that was my first project. And it was just so exciting to be able to impact you know the university in that way mm-hmm. and to be able to help them reach that goal and to be they a did part a of a lot that. of amazing things with that money they were able to give free classes yeah. um they were able to build new structures and halls and, yeah, and they actually, classrooms and and they actually have offered like a lot of courses like minority mm-hmm. uh, based courses like you know with with uh, specific discounts and things to minorities that so they, you know, they're giving back as well, you know, yeah. which is they had more than enough, pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> more than enough to give back. So from that, like being your first like crazy successful project to you, like just having that under your belt, I think did that give you momentum for your next job? And and tell me how, and tell your audience how you use that to sort of. You know, leverage that opportunity to create a new path for you and a new, a new uh, development environment. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I learned a lot from that experience. Um, I learned that you you go into places with your list of skills and your experiences and what you've learned on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and you kind of go through those experiences and you come out somebody totally different. Uh, and the key to being able to be successful, you know, in, in that in-between period is being able to be flexible. 
being willing to learn, you know, being able to be willing to learn, being hungry, uh, being passionate, being mm-hmm. willing to work late nights. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just, you know, really work hard to try to innovate and, you know, use technology in the best way possible. So from that situation, I transitioned over uh, to AIR or the American Institute for Research. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I've never uh, heard it called AIR. <laughs> you never heard it called AIR? No. Everybody that works there calls it AIR. Oh, AIR. So, AIR or AR. Um, but yeah, so I transitioned over there. Uh, and I was really excited about that opportunity because a lot of what I learned in school was Drupal-based development. Uh, Drupal is a content management system uh, that allows you to easily manage large websites and small websites. It was quite websites. new then, too. It was pretty new at that time. I mean, I will say the, the acceptance of it commercially was kind of new. Mm-hmm. Uh, there had been Drupal version 4 or 5, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, at that yeah. time. So there was Drupal. It was around, but it wasn't as accepted as it, as it was at that time. So going into that environment... Before then, tell the audience about... Drupal. Sorry about that, but tell the tell them what tell them a little bit more about Drupal uh, and some of the the benefits of using it for uh, AIR. Sure. So uh, one of the main things is that AIR has a lot of what they call microsites mm-hmm. in different sectors. I would say within their organization. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of different initiatives. You know, it's mainly based around education, but there's all these different education programs that they do. For different uh, government and uh, uh, different government organizations, mm-hmm. so by using Drupal, you can have these micro sites, these kind of one-off sites, but you can also have them tie back in together pretty seamlessly as well. Right. Um, so, really, there was like a lot of work to be done there. Ah, okay. There's a ton of websites at, at, at the American Institute for Research. They do a lot of Drupal stuff. It's honestly 95% probably Drupal. Mm. Um, so there's a ton to learn. Um, to be honest, at that time. Because of we weren't using Drupal at Georgetown, mm-hmm. um, my skills in that area, it Drupal had changed a lot. It, yes. it it had modernized itself, you know, quite a bit. You know, the team at at Acquia had made some adjustments to it. So, you know, I was kind of on on the back end of that train a little yeah. bit and trying to run to the front because I was a little behind. But you know, once again, the biggest thing, honestly, I think I learned whether it's in high school, um, you know, at the private school, even public school, or whether it was in college or whether it was at Georgetown University, was if you're willing to put the work in and put the time in, you're, you, you know, you're going to be fine in life, and you're going to be fine at any opportunity. And, right. and that's honestly how Amy and I approach every project. You know, yeah. No deadline is ever unachievable. You know, we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. We'll work with anybody. We're open-minded. We're down to earth. And you know, we try to make sure that we approach problems you know, with just a clear perspective. Um, but yeah, at American Institutes for Research... You know, I definitely was able to do that. I was able to learn a lot um, and really, you know, work with some pretty cool people and some different yeah. different initiatives based around education. I actually won an award um, I know. Know, for uh, the WPIC website, which is actually still up. So it was just really cool. You know, once again, I went from Georgetown University to And American then winning a, an award. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. Research. It's a lot to, yeah. for your second job. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. So with with... I think and at that time I was pregnant, so you had a lot of momentum to be amazing so that you can also provide for us in your, your coming child, our child, actually. Oh, no. I know that happened. Scary. Um, so just moving forward, you went and you leveraged that opportunity again and got another big shot, hot shot, amazing job at the OFR. Yeah, so yeah, my next opportunity was at the Office of Financial Research. Um, 
that situation once again was extremely interesting. I was tasked with a lot of with doing a lot of stuff that I really didn't know how to do. Yes. Um, so I ended up having to learn Jekyll like and basically, or something. basically like a week or two, I was doing design and working with the creative team as well. Um, I was also working with the dev team, you know, doing Jekyll and, and learning Git on the command line and doing all these crazy things that at that time were definitely over my head. But, you know, once again, I remember a lot of late nights mm-hmm. staying late, you know, Amy's like, where are you You're coming home? And I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. I just got to do this one thing. Just going to eat without you. <laughs> and it takes two or three hours, but... Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the passion and, you know, the perseverance and, you know, the willingness to kind of do whatever it takes to succeed. So I think there really also got it got into more of the government contracting stuff and learning how the government works. Um, Pros and cons. Being in D.C. was really cool. Um, But, yeah, I think I just really learned about government contracting and the possibilities Uh there. So so just going back, you said you were your, your passion. Tell me what about technology as a whole you're that you know that you're passionate about sure honestly i think there's a lot of sexy answers to this that you know most people would say the biggest thing that i like about technology is the fact that it always changes and there's always something new to do Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i I mean the way my brain works like and and how does your brain work (laughs) my brain a little bit about you so you're also adhd yes and you were diagnosed as a child, took medication, got yeah. off of medication, and really let your brain free, basically. Yeah. yeah. So this is just the perfect environment to be in technology for. It is. I mean, it's always changing. Things are always moving. But I think that's the biggest thing that I love about technology. There's always something new to learn. There's always a new, a newer and better way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, God, which, I know. Which, so fast. You know, which I think allows us to be able to offer these solutions and to be able to be innovators you know for our clients it allows us to say you know it allows me to say hey you know you guys are doing it this way this way and this way if you do it this newer way it's been tested it's been proven you're going to cut your budget in half you know over over the next six months or what have you um so you know i definitely think that um you know just technology in general and the way it's going Mm -hmm. um and how you know how fast things change really aligns with my mind and, and, and okay. how fast my mind moves. I <laughs> know. And you saying alignment just triggers another question is how does how does your passion truly align with our mission for like technology for humanity? How how does being a technologist sort of how does it connect with our mission to help, you know, impact sure. the humanity driven industries? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely with my upbringing, um, you know, I remember, you know, some of those dark times and mm-hmm. being in neighborhoods with gunshots and, uh, yeah. you know, different things happening, um, you know, but like I said, my parents worked really hard to kind of level up, but kind of going through those experiences and also, to be honest, hearing some of Amy's experiences yeah. um, and also just remembering in school and throughout my life, honestly, like the lack of opportunities that are that are often, you know, that, that we don't have, honestly, as people of color. Mm-hmm. So I think combining all of those things with my love for innovation and technology mm-hmm. and also, you know, just wanting to, you know, make a positive impact on the world, right? And to help others and help other people succeed. I, I think that's how it ties back into the mission. So really, you know, I like to use my ADHD brain and its technology to, you know, increase... The potential of those who may be in unfortunate situations. Yeah. You know, I remember reading something recently, and and 
and it basically says that technology is the key is like the bridge that can take someone from poverty to you know at least be middle class or even upper class to be honest technology is you know technology is that bridge um but honestly in most of those situations people are unaware of the technology Mm -hmm. um they don't even know it exists you know and and you know there's tons of opportunities and you know high paying jobs and uh really just life-changing opportunities for people but you know they're unaware or you know they feel like that's nerd stuff and oh, it, I can't it's, do that. it's too it's difficult too and it's very hard yeah. and it is like learning a new language but you know with learning a new language if you can learn how to say hi in that language yeah. and you can learn how to say bye in that language then eventually you're speaking sentences and then paragraphs yeah and then maybe you can write a book you know Absolutely. in spanish you know so technology is the same way if you take your time and learn it piece by piece uh you know keep working through it eventually you can figure it out but you know, as I mentioned before, you have to be aware that those opportunities exist. Right. You have to understand that 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 you know that outlet is there for you. But if you're unaware of it, then you know you can't really utilize it. So let's switch perspectives a bit. Um, how do you want our clients to feel about us after we complete a project for them? Just being from the technology perspective, how do you want them to feel about the efforts that we put into? sort of help to impact their industry um yeah yeah that makes sense that's a great question yeah i mean i think ultimately you know you want your client to feel happy satisfied and just overjoyed with the solution that you provided Mm -hmm. and i think that's the answer that a lot of people would probably give but me personally the biggest thing for me is that i want you to feel like there's an open line of communication with me in the event that something needs to be changed or does go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I think even with all of these, you know, different solutions and QA and everything else, it's unrealistic to expect for everything to go correct. Yeah. You know, with a website or application. So what we believe in, you know, at Dream and Color is really trying to bring our clients closer to the actual project. You know, for instance, a lot of people in tech use Slack to communicate. We like to bring our clients directly into the Slack channel and directly into like our slack channels and into the process Mm -hmm. so that they can reach out to us directly you know i really love that that one-to-one communication and connectivity and you know i want for them to be happy with their end product but i also want them to know that if they you know if they made an edit on the website or if they did something to the application and kind of brought it down that we're open and we're there and we're accessible you know Um, we were actually talking to someone recently who was looking for a new you know web agency to work with and they had mentioned basically that, you know, these people just kind of fell off the face of the earth. They had reached out to them and they didn't know where they were and so on and so forth. Yeah. And honestly, that's baffling to me because we don't even like that. That doesn't even cross our mind because probably because we're on the computer too much. You know, to <laughs> on be our honest. Phones, everything but also because us. we just value the relationship so much. Mm-hmm. You know, like being available is a huge part of like our success. It, it has been and it will continue to be. Uh, being there, being available, uh, just being reliable, you know, knowing when you call us that we're going to answer, knowing that when you send us a message, we're going to write you back, knowing that when you send us an email, we're going to write you back. I think that's been a huge key to our success. And that's not just something that we believe in or that we do. It's because we really care about these clients and we understand that their website about non-communicable diseases is not just a website about non-communicable diseases. It's something that's impacting people in other countries and saving lives 
and, you know, helping other people honestly change their lives, you know? So I think that that open line of communication is something that we're definitely passionate about. And it's because we realize, you know, what kind of impact that that has on other people. So Right. And it kind of just, you know, as we come to a close, um, I really want to quickly get your your process when it comes to technology and development as it relates to the ideal user behavior methodology. So I'm going to I'm going to say the the first step. So yeah. explore and how do you do that as a technologist? How do you explore? Sure. So I mean, definitely, you know, this sounds like a discovery phase thing. Yeah. Uh, but we want to make sure we understand your target audience. We want to make sure we understand any metrics or data um, that are associated with the application or website that you're looking to redesign or design, you know, if or it's from scratch or application, if it's from scratch. Um, so we want to make sure we understand those metrics. And that's what exploring is about. The more we can understand those metrics and understand the users and understand the psychology behind their triggers and, you know, what they're ultimately looking to do with the application or website, the better that we can approach the project, right? Um, because we don't want to just, and, and it's, it's funny, I kind of laugh in my head because I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when Drupal was all the rage, and it still is now, to be honest. And I love Drupal, and I think it's extremely powerful. Most people, you know, that, that I work with, I remember, you know, some of these shops, and they just want to throw Drupal at everything. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the right solution, right? You have to understand the psychology of your users, what is the problem right now? What are the problems potentially in the future? Scalability. Um, you know, how, how does it relate to scalability? Um, you know, what does the performance look like on different devices? Do people have to access this website with um, areas of low bandwidth? So yeah. on and so forth, you know? So I think that's a part of that exploration process is just understanding the full scope of what you're, what you're designing for situationally and who you're designing for. Absolutely. The next thing is analyzing. So when you are in the beginning of the project, how do you, as a technologist, analyze the proper solution for the, for the project? Sure. I mean, I think that ties directly back into exploration. With exploration, you're gathering... Well, let, me add, let me add on top sure. of that. So like analyzing in a sense like, okay, how do you get through to choosing what you're going to do and what you're going to use? Yeah, so I think that ties directly into exploration where you're looking at those metrics, looking at the data, part of the exploration process. And in terms of analyzing, you are now evaluating maybe some decisions that you've made based on exploration, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at all the data. We need to design for users between 20 to 60 years old. It needs to work on mobile devices. They need to be able to edit content. Uh, we need to pull in dynamic data, you know, data for dashboards, mm -hmm. so on and so forth, right? So now that I have all those things, I can easily work with my team to, to come up with a list of recommendations, maybe three or four approaches from a technological perspective. Yes. And I can analyze those perspectives and say, okay, what are the pros and cons of these approaches? Right, because um, there are truly that many choices. Like a lot yeah. of times, just as something that I see that people can just give them one option. Yeah. And there are so many more, especially yeah. if you have a budget. There are so many more ways to attack a, and analyze a problem, yeah. come up with a solution. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, you know, it's easy to prescribe a solution to a client that has a certain price point, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. that may work best for you. What's not so easy is being 100% honest with the client and saying, okay, here's three different ways we can do this. This one is going to cost you 20 grand less 
than the other way. This one's going to cost you 20 grand more, right? Mm -hmm. But there's pros and cons to each one. Right, yeah. What we can do is start with the the one with the lower cost and build up to the one with the higher cost. Yeah, slowly. By, by making a solid foundation. So that tier-based approach from a pricing perspective is something that we definitely believe in too. Mm -hmm. And that, that ties into the, to the um, analysis process, I think, in analyzing to me is being able to understand not only the metrics and everything and to be able to prescribe something so that they can analyze it, but being able to offer them different possible paths to success. Right. Because um, it's easy, like I said, to just shove the highest price thing and, 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 you know, and say, here, you take this. Yeah. But you may know deep down inside that they don't really need that that at that price point yeah, right now. Yeah, we don't even consider giving them options that they don't need. Exactly. You know? So we skip that step entirely so the next thing is integrate so when you're doing a project and they have other sort of um, apis and things like that that they want to integrate into the project or if they're using social media if they're using um, a task management management tool like we did with um with PRB, you know, we mm -hmm. integrated a lot of like web features and external people being able to share things. So how do you come about approaching that strategically um, when you're thinking about integration for a site and then talk about the power of integration? Sure. So, you know, with regards to um, integration, we've done a lot of work with the different APIs. Um, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. I know you're very big on social media and social networking and trying to integrate sharing features. Yes. Uh, you know, whether with it's... other apps like Slack and things. Yeah, with, with other apps like Slack, Dropbox, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but that's something that we definitely like to explore. Um, you know, we believe sharing and interconnectivity is essential to being able to disseminate data at a high level. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it depends on the security. Is this yeah. an internal application? Is it going to be whitelisted? or black labeled or yeah. black listed white labeled and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, is it going to be kind of put inside of a black box? You know, if not, you know, if, if, if it is, obviously you can't really do much. Uh, but in some cases we've, you know, dealt with projects that they want it to be open source and freely shared. So there's a lot of really cool things you can do. There's, you know, you can share this on Facebook, share this on Instagram, of course, but Hey, let's allow them to be able to share a specific data set if they select it, you know, mm -hmm. Or something like that so there's some really cool like interactive things that you can do and that's a big part of you know the ideal user behavior methodology right and and the next thing is the take action which is the biggest thing with what you when it comes to tech not to technology sorry when it comes to technology how impactful is the action piece of it so I want you to take it out of just the process and get like high level how does technology help our users and help our clients take action? Sure. So, you know, ideally with the ideal user behavior methodology, mm -hmm. because of how strategic and specific and thoughtful that process is, mm -hmm. it really helps us to design interfaces and applications that are very easy to understand and to use and thus allowing the users to be able to easily take action. Yeah. Um, really a great interface, a great experience, a great application, website, mobile application. It all starts on the drawing board with the conceptualization process. Mm -hmm. Taking action becomes much easier when you've done all of your thinking initially, you know your users, yeah. you know the audience, you know how you want to, you know, 
uh, integrated with other applications, so on and so forth. You know all that stuff. It becomes much easier for them to take action. Um, but, you know, to be honest, a lot of people, they, they tend to kind of speed through those processes. Ah, yes. I and they know. just jump towards the end. And then what you have is something that's quote unquote done, but it's not performant. And, yeah. and it doesn't work well for your users. Or you and, get... Mm-hmm. And, and that's because they didn't spend enough time at the front end of the process. And I was going to say, or you get into a thing where you are constantly fixing stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Where you get into that cycle of developers yeah. just fixing stuff nonstop without a map or a guide to know if it's even performing. You're just fixing things on, yeah. a, on an application and on an interface. Yeah, and, it, and it's actually really interesting. Um, there's you know a couple articles on this, and it talks about the cost of changes. So when you're like in a conceptualization phase, you're doing designing, wireframing, sketching, all that kind of stuff, even mock-ups, honestly, the cost of making a change is much lower than if you're making changes and you're in development. Yes, cause because there's no guidance. There's no guidance and you didn't spend enough time conceptualizing and you're probably going to make testing. a change that's small, but it's going to impact everything else and, and maybe blow some other things out the water. So that's a very interesting thing. It's a chart that literally shows that the cost of change is exponential when it comes towards the end of a project. Yeah. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, I think that's definitely why we tend to, you know, what some people call front load our projects and spend a lot of time, resources, energy, creative juices at the beginning of the process and conceptualization and making sure we understand the users and their goals and all that good stuff, you know, because that ultimately will, will create a better product. Great. So I have one more question. Um, how do you feel that Dream and Co- How do you feel? Do you feel that? Hold on, I gotta frame this right. Hold on. So, how is Dream and Color different from the technological standpoint from other uh, firms and other design um, agencies or design or technology based industries? How do you feel that we're different? That's a great question. You know, I, I think the, the easiest answer to that. And honestly, the the most succinct answer at this point is a lot of people have a tool belt yeah. and they have a hammer mm-hmm. and, and they have a saw and they're mm-hmm. going to use a hammer and saw for every project. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. They're going the to build you a house and it's going to be with the hammer and saw. It's going to be templated. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be templated or it's going to be based on technological solutions that they are familiar with. You know, not to you know, repeat the same things over and over again. But one of the biggest things that we believe in is really sitting down and understanding the problems, understanding the users, Mm -hmm. understanding what's available, right? Because it's easy to prescribe the same thing. Yeah. But if you truly do not need that infrastructure or the cost associated with maintaining it, there's no point of implementing that. And that's so powerful that you said that because I've had consultations with clients where they're just like, I've had in, um, agencies turn me away because, um, you know, I may not want to, I want to build something from a template and not from scratch. And they want to build it from scratch, you know. So you're turning away people who have a need, essentially, because it's not your way. Exactly. And that's terrible. Yes. and Yeah. And I mean, you know, even, you know, when we work with clients, some of them come in with their mm-hmm. own you know, technological solutions and ideas and recommendations. Mm-hmm. And we're all ears and we love hearing those things. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, we, we, we end up going that route because it yeah. makes sense for their project. And they, and they really understand what their, you know, what their needs are mm-hmm. and what their users are, you know, who their users are and what works for them. Um, sometimes, you know, we're able to say, hey, look, 
this is a better solution for you guys right now and for, you know, five years from now. Yeah. You know, so thinking of things in that sort of, you know, long term, uh, long term way really can make a, you know, a big difference. And, you know, I think just being open minded on both ends. Right. Us being open minded, but also, you know, them being open minded and willing to listen to us as the experts. Yeah. Well, thank you, Christopher. Thank sure. you for telling everybody your story, your experience, your accolades and rewards and your mind basically letting us in and accolades under- <laughs> rhymes with aftershave. <laughs> that was so random. But it's okay. It does. Um but thank you. Uh thank you guys for listening to this episode. You can like, share, and subscribe to our channel. Um, you can find us on just about all of the social media networks. Um, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. Um, and if you have any questions, you can visit our um, site, which is dreamcolor.co. And if you have any design needs, it's dreamcolor.co slash tech, T-E-C-H hyphen redesigned. All right. I would spell redesign, but this ain't no spelling bee. <laughs> Okay, tune in. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.